Good day, everybody. Good moment. Good to see you, even though I can't see you. I'm glad you're out there. Thanks for listening. After uploading the last episode, I realized the story needs to continue on what happened in uh, 2014. Because the, the good stuff, part two, is about to happen. And part of the good stuff is something very, very potentially sad. And uh, so here we go. As you already know, in 2014, I had, you know, this transcendental breakthrough, disconnecting from needing to identify with thought. And what does that leave you with? That leaves you with you, your experience of being, the authentic self. It just, that's the way it is. And for months after that experience, I felt light. I felt present and I didn't feel motivated to have to do anything. I knew I needed the work to earn money, pay the rent. Um, I was still in a relationship, so I knew I needed to communicate with my partner, and I wanted to. You know, we, we enjoyed our time together much of the time. And yet, part of what happened that year was a result of things I had been contemplating prior to 2014. Since about September of the year before, I actually felt like the relationship that I was in that we were having wasn't going to be long term and it didn't feel right. It just didn't feel 100% on track. And we had actually had a discussion or two about that along the way. And yet in, in November of that year, we had a really deep discussion because she expressed her interest in spending our lives together. And I had to respond to that with a a soft, no, I don't feel that's where we're at. And actually, I feel there's a few hurdles in the way. And so I spoke for a while about what I thought those were and how I was feeling. And after that conversation, you know, things were a little, not tense, but, you know, there was an aloofness between us because it's hard to have that happen and not have an odd feeling in the air because, you know, in a fundamental way, I um, sent a pretty strong rejection her way. And then in January, I experienced my own personal inner transformation, which made me feel fantastic for no reason. I was so thrilled just to breathe and be alive. I didn't need to do anything to add to it. Of course, I needed to do the practical things that a human needs to do to survive. And in the months after... We, we continued to get along decently well. We, we did things together. Um, she was helping me with my landscaping. We were working together. I broke a rib and healed it very quickly, naturally. Um, by naturally, I mean using comfrey and a compress and treating it properly. Healed it about twice as fast as uh, is normally expected. Again, when you're in a good zone, you kind of take care of these things. You know, my mind helped me as well. It didn't get in the way. No negativity, no dwelling. And we continued to get along. But, of course, because I had had this thought and this feeling since about September of the, the year previous about, you know, breaking up, um, I knew at some point it was going to happen. And yet I was letting it linger just a little bit. And I realized that was out of, you know, a sense of Steve being a nice guy and not wanting to hurt anyone. And yet I knew it was inevitable. And that at some point, as a consequence of me saying, I want to break up, there would be hurt, even though it wasn't intentional. 
I think we all know that. We've all been through this with breakups of any kind, whether it's a, a partner, um, with your parents, with a friend, uh, with leaving work. There's an inevitable feeling because as human beings, we're innately compassionate. We don't want to hurt anyone else. We really don't. If we're, you know, not completely disconnected, which some people actually get to. But, you know, the months went by and by May I had reconciled that, you know, it's time to get on with it for both of our sakes, you know, not fair to either of us to be in this limbo when she can obviously tell because I had been speaking to her on a regular basis. I would have been doing my writing in the other room. I would have insights and flashes into, you know, the human experience, the way we express ourselves. And I was so excited and she was there. So I would share my thoughts and ideas with her. And I'm not sure what it actually meant to her, if anything, but she could probably tell, you know, this guy is doing fine. And it has nothing to do with me. Now, it wasn't anything not to do with her. But the whole point of being this connected to yourself is that life is the love of your life. Everything around you has the capacity to be a fulfilling experience. And even the challenges become interesting. And so in May, I did exactly that. I found the words to say, you know, I guess I'm sorry, but we're done here. And... Um, I think it's time for us both to move on for our own good. And in that moment, I knew, of course, she wasn't, you know, happy about it. There's never an initial, well, rarely probably an initial happiness or a relief. And so she expressed that weight over the next couple of days. And at one point even said to me, you know, I'm never going to give my heart over to anyone ever again. And, you know, I was in a very happy um, satisfied zone with myself. Of course I was. My thoughts didn't have anything to do with my state of being. And yet I understood what she meant by that. And when she said that, I actually knew that that would have been a reason if she had ever expressed that before, that if you ever, you know, leave me, I'll never love anyone again, uh, or want to put myself out to anyone again. That would have been reason enough to actually not want to be with that type of person or with a person with that type of thinking. Because I am diametrically opposed to those sentiments. I've worked to let myself express myself to be sensitive and allow myself to be sensitive my entire life. And it's gotten me to where I am today. And it got me to that point. And it got me to the deep understanding that that's not something I condone in this world. Even though I respect that that's where she is and that's how she feels. So after May, we... um separated within the household i lived in the, another room a separate room we kept doing some work together and some other things together but we naturally started carving out little spaces for ourselves and by july we um, knew we had to find separate living quarters now the other thing that happened which is fairly big is that in july i went to visit my brother in calgary because he was newly married and his landscape needed updating and being a professional landscape designer and contractor uh, he knew who to call. And so I went out there for a few weeks to do that. And when I left, her and I had left on decent terms, you know, still talking, uh, under, an understanding of where we were going, and to do it, um, you know, calmly and rationally. And I was very pleased with both of us at that point. Now, when we left, she um, then communicated with me online that she had started seeing other people. She had started dating again, and she had been doing that for quite a while. 
I hadn't been aware because she hadn't had anyone over to the house. She's not that kind of person. She's very respectful not to flaunt that kind of thing. Uh, despite the fact that I had broken up with her and, you know, caused her some short-term pain. Because she had mentioned a few weeks after, you know, it's actually a relief to finally know. Because she wasn't, wasn't in the position or in the, in the place to have the um, strength to, to be the one to break up. Even though with the, the events of the past few months, we knew it was imminent at some point in our futures. You know, and that's life. It's not easy. It's not easy. But when she mentioned that to me, that she had started dating again, my mind started thinking about it and putting some pieces together. And part of me actually started thinking about myself and my place in this. And the idea that I was even a little bit jealous. Because she had said she would never, you know, give her heart over to anyone again. Well, why was she trying? Especially so soon. You know, what had I not done that didn't fulfill her? And yes, there were things that we weren't compatible with 100% and hadn't grown into that were valid. You know, some aspects of intimacy we weren't on the same page with. And we both tried, but, you know, it wasn't uh, ever going to work in hindsight. And that's fine. But even though I'd been in a very clear zone for almost six months previous, my mind started thinking. And it started thinking, well, if you're a nice guy, how could you have done this to someone? How have you can... How could you have affected someone so deeply that they say they're never going to give their heart over to someone ever again? And if you're such a nice guy, you know, how come she's wanting to date again right away instead of, you know, wanting to reconcile with you? Because she hadn't even brought it up. And you know what that is? That's ego. Steve and his Mr. Nice Guy complex came to the fore. And that's when I, well, months later, in retrospect, I realized that I had had a lifelong nice guy complex about wanting people to like me, even though I am a nice human, human being by nature. You can have that, but you can also double up on it with thinking and create an identity out of it. And that's my longest lived identity, which is why it came back up fairly organically and naturally. I didn't have to do anything to inspire it. All that had to happen was my mind got doing exactly what the human mind does. It started thinking. It started connecting dots. It started making up a story. Now, in retrospect, I know that's not, it wasn't a true story. But in the moment, my thinking became active enough that I dwelled on it more than I should. And yet, during this time, I was still posting things online as illuminating the disconnect, helping other people, answering questions about, you know, the practicality of, of knowing who you are beyond thought, and I could do that, and it was still very honest and true. And yet within myself, I was going down this rabbit hole of thinking. And so for a short time, I did stop posting because I felt inauthentic. And I also started feeling for the first time, for an extended time in my life, depressed. And then after a while, that spiraled even further. Now around this time, a couple other things happened. This was the August, I believe it's August, that Robin Williams committed suicide. And, you know, I analyzed that as deeply as I could with the information there and realized he had built up a huge identity around his self-image from a young age because the first thing he learned to do that he got recognition for was to be funny, to entertain his mother around the house. 
and that had started very young with him. And I could re- I could understand that, and I could even relate to it, but I still hadn't made the connection that that's what I'm doing, but I'm just relating it to being a nice guy. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to it, because whatever the identity is, we all likely have one. And so it came roaring back. Around this time as well, her brother died in a, a terrible accident. And that was a big shock. So while already grieving, she was being put through this. And I could tell she was just beside herself. She was crying incessantly. We were still on a friendly basis, so I was there. Looked after her new apartment when she was gone. Was there to greet her when she got back home. You know, had no ulterior motives about getting back together. But was also in the back of my mind wondering, like, what is she date? Is she dating? Is she seeing, still seeing someone? I kind of didn't want to know details, but I was wondering what was going on. And then after a while, you know, I did realize she was, you know, not just dating. She was distracting. She was into someone, you know, in, in a way where the intimacy was a huge distraction in a way it never was with us. And because intimacy had always been something, I, whew, another episode podcast for me to talk about. But in a short version, intimacy for me had been something I had had to work on being a very shy person, not knowing how to express myself well into my 20s. I wasn't connected with, you know, my my physical self, my masculinity expressing itself fully. I could do it, but it wasn't full. It wasn't wild and free, you know, all the things that we want to feel when we're with someone and there's no limit to the expression that we want to experience with another human being as a physical connection. And yet she was doing this with someone. So part of me put all those pieces together and I started feeling really sad about myself and part of my life journey, how I had not lived that, expressed that. There was a tinge of jealousy, which of course is tinged with ego because I was relating it to myself. And it's ironic because in the six months previous, I had been perfectly content. I wasn't thinking about intimacy. It didn't matter fundamentally even though on some level it's a key component to expressing yourself within relationships and so for a few weeks i spiraled really badly and got more and more deep in thought and relating it to myself and it kept coming back to well if you're such a nice guy and you've done this to someone else how can you live with that how can you live with yourself And it's ironic talking about this after the fact because I fully understood from Eckhart Tolle's journey, from Siddhartha's experience, that the transcendence of self should negate that question because I would, I should have understood who I was as separated from the identity of that self asking the question because it was an identity asking the question. It wasn't the reality of Steve and where I was, could really have been at and move, move forward from. It was the identity of the nice guy Steve still feeling huh, I guess I'm not enough. Well, if I'm not enough, am I even worth trying to be here? Should I? And so suicidal thoughts started to creep in, and I started contemplating it very deeply. And this happened just over the course of a few weeks. And I remember talking about it with a few people. I remember talking with my brother about it and saying, I'm not doing well. And my brother, bless him, was like, if I need to be on a plane there, you let me know. And I was like, yeah, I will. I will. I am... I don't think it's going to come to that, but I, I'm having trouble negotiating these thoughts. 
And yet I didn't. I didn't ask for help in the final moment. I let it get to a final moment. And that happened on September 2nd, where I had resolved to do away with myself because I couldn't reconcile how I could live with myself any longer. Figuring I had exhausted every avenue. I had tried talking to her, to my my ex, about everything. I had tried too hard. I had actually become a little bit rude and incessant about wanting to reconcile what had been gone on between us. And maybe if we had had discussions, it would have circumvented me continuing to go. But no one's to blame there. And uh, it happened the way it happened. And I'm fine with that. But it led up to me on September 2nd writing a suicide note essentially to her, explaining, I don't think I can live with myself. I don't want to be this person in the world. I don't want to be the person that hurts someone irreparably, even though I, I didn't intend to, and honestly, I'm sure that didn't happen. And now I know it's not on me to worry about that. It's not my ultimate concern, even though I'm a nice guy. <laughs> so I said about that day, um, hanging myself from my pull-up bar, which I had uh, between the door frame of my bedroom. Now, I lived in a basement suite, which didn't have a high ceiling, so I had to reconcile, how can I hang and not have my feet touch the floor, thus, you know, preventing me from actually hanging? Because no one's got the wherewithal to lift their feet while they hang until they actually pass out. It's th actually that hard to kill yourself. It really is, and yet humans do it. And they usually do it in a method that's quick, because that takes the possibility of intervening out of the equation. And I'm so, I'm so sad and sorry that anyone ever thinks this, because it shouldn't be a part of our psyche and our makeup, and it only is because we have this self-conscious mind and this ego, which is why I'll be spending the rest of my life talking about this so that I can enable, in any way, a paradigm shift whereby humans learn not to give the weight that much weight to our thoughts when it doesn't have to be that way. So I wrote this uh, suicide note that day. I had it on my computer. I was going to send it to her and then, um, you know, get myself set up on a stool in such a way that my hands, feet, everything was tied together, wrapped behind my back. So I was on my knees on the stool, rope around my neck, you know, wobble the stool till it falls over and I uh, have nothing to support me. And then boom, you're hanging. And, you know, in that scenario, if there's no way out, once you have a rope around your neck, it's just a matter of time. And yet I got up in this scenario. I was in the position, pretty well prepared to go. And the stool started wobbling. And it fell out from under me. A little sooner than I had actually prepared. And all of a sudden, I was caught. In the moment. And in my mind, it was kind of like, what the fuck? And... I instantly knew, no, but what, what's going on here? And I don't know how this happened to this day, but my left hand came free. Um, sometimes I think my father might have had a hand in this, being left-handed and having left this world by suicide himself many, many years before. Um, again, just want to reiterate that and Robin Williams act didn't give me a, a reason or an excuse to do it past precedent didn't mean anything. It was my situation alone, and I was trying to reconcile what to do. But in that moment, my left hand came free, reached up, grabbed the bar, pulled myself up to create some slack, and I untied the rope. 
and let myself down. And what ensued was the deepest sense of calm that I had ever felt, even deeper than the months previous, because I just sat there in my own presence, knowing everything was okay. And then I started, I was very lighthearted. I started giggling and laughing and I looked up at the sky and just, I don't, can't remember if I said the words out loud or if it was just in my head, but the sentiment was, who the fuck are you to tell me whether or not I can be here? And yes, I was speaking to the universe, to life itself, to the world around, but I was also poignantly speaking to that voice in my head, which was the last voice I ever heard giving me feedback and a hard time that wasn't true, wasn't realistic. Because here I was, I'm still here, and I'm fine. And I did have a deep sense of peace. I got up, I started cleaning my way around. After a short while, I figured whether or not this was intelligent or not, I figured I would write a short note to her and send her the note that I had written so that she would know where I was at, what I had intended to do, but that I had actually failed and was okay. And was more than okay. In fact, failing at that was one of the best things I ever did, or that ever happened to me, whichever it may be. Because I was hanging for about 30 seconds, which means I probably wasn't too far away from not being here to record this podcast. And when I tell this story... You know, there's often a hell of a lot of tears because I'm extremely grateful for this life. I always was, and I was for those months previous to that. But now, it's um, it's every second of every day that there's never I'm never at a loss for a touch point to being grateful and to knowing I'm okay, no matter what is happening on the surface level of life. Whether I have a debilitating headache from um, you know some things that I'm going through right now with detoxing from heavy metals. Or whether, you know, I hurt myself physically while I'm working. Yeah, it hurts and it sucks, but you know what? I'm okay. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Because that deep sense of connection is where it's at. That's where you can live from that transcends every other thing that happens to you and actually makes you able to deal with it. So after I sent that uh, email to her, she communicated that to my mother. And I got a call really quickly and ended up talking with my mother for a while. And reassuring her that I was actually okay. And then uh, she also told a friend of hers who was a, a grief counselor, a suicide hotline um, counselor, um, to call me. And she called me and we had a good talk. And I know it must have seemed, I could picture it from their perspective, that they probably didn't believe what I said because someone who just tried to kill themselves usually doesn't have the frame of mind to reassure someone that they're okay. Um, and yet I was so calm and so okay because I finally knew who I was and that nothing in my head could ever have anything to say about it that was that serious, that ultimate. And to this day, I don't actually have a voice in my head telling me much. I contemplate things. My mind, of course, works when I need to think about something and figure something out on a practical level in life. But that's it. Then it's done. And it's back to smooth sailing, calmness. I don't walk down the street thinking about three things while I'm just walking down the street. When I'm walking down the street, I enjoy walking down the fucking street. Taking in the world around without labeling it. Being open and aware. 
And I'll explain that open awareness in a separate episode about letting your senses just do what they do. Sense. Your mind does not have to add a further layer to it. And it certainly doesn't have to add a further layer in relation to what you think about it. That layer of ego that has the capacity to make anything about you. Even just, you're a nice guy because you did this. You're a smart guy because you know that. You're worthwhile because you earn this much money. Those, all, those things can all happen and are very real and valuable and practical in the world, but you don't need that other layer very often at all. And so that's why I'm glad I'm here, because I have a lifetime of stories to be able to explain this. And I'm glad, in retrospect, I really am glad that this experience happened to me this way, because I've, previous to and, and subsequent to that, studied the experiences of others in what they call self-actualization, enlightenment, awakening, whatever fancy word you want to put on it, which I'm going to talk about and demystify, because it's just a practical knowing thyself that this is all about. I'm going to de demystify that because it needs to be, instead of being made to be seen as mystical, you know? The way that we look at Siddhartha's story and someone who became a Buddha, an awakened one, was labeled very shortly after by the ego, the Buddha, as if there could only ever be one. Well, that doesn't help. It doesn't help to say there was only ever one. Because you're one too, dammit. You're a human being. You have exactly the same capacities, good and bad, positive and negative. Same thing with Jesus, same thing with Lao Tzu, same thing with Eckhart Tolle and his experience. In every other previous experience, once this transition has happened, I've never read or heard of anybody having a backslide. In other words, you know, transcending their mind and knowing it, and then actually being recalled back into it because of life's circumstances. And yet, now I've been seven years since that experience, and I know because I've been so consciously aware of how I feel and who I am that I know that cannot happen again to me in this lifetime no matter what happens no matter what happens even though a lot of things have the potential to make me sad the passing of someone close the day my mother passes is going to be insanely sad for me and it will be for a while after I've lost two friends to suicide in the last few years very sad days but the reality of life, being bigger than that, returns to me very, very quickly, without dismissing the weight of what is happening. It's just not allowed to dwell in the mind and become something more than it is in reality. And that's the key takeaway. And it takes work. It's a process. All those thoughts that build up identities of who you are in your mind started when you were very young. They started the day you were born and someone gave you a name and started calling you that name repeatedly and your mind latched onto it and understood how to make that connection. Potentially disconnecting you slightly from your sense of self. It happens to all of us to some degree in this lifetime. And if you're challenged, I hope these words help you in knowing it's just a return to that honest connection to being yourself that you were born with that I'm trying to explain how to get back to. Whatever was built up as an identity in the mind simply needs to be deconstructed and let go of. The key is, is that you don't do it all from within the mind. You have to do it from beyond the mind because you are beyond your mind. There's a whole you that's watching your mind do what it does. In a sense, now I allow my mind to do what it does. 
because I understand what it is. It's a part of me. It's a part of what I am. It's a part of the human condition. There's nothing wrong with that. But understanding it sure helps put it into perspective and to step back from it and to feel whole and bigger than that at any given moment. Now, later that year, in fact, just two weeks after that experience, I ended up attending a, um, a retreat in Joshua Tree that I'd purchased tickets for months before, which, of course, I hadn't thought about the day I was thinking to hang myself, <laughs> that I was going to miss that. wasn't really on my mind. But I attended this, and it was called um, Synchronicity, Matter and Psyche. And the speakers there were Graham Hancock, Rupert Sheldrake, people who were all about experiencing um, and explaining how this all works, how mind, body, spirit, how all the connections can be explained. And it's ironic that I was attending that with probably a deeper understanding, and yet all of these people were also explaining it, and they were all so close. They all had such a good perspective, but without that final aspect of having experienced it fully themselves in order to translate the rest of the information. Although... It can't be put into words, as I keep saying. I'll be talking for years about this. Books, podcasts, anything that comes up. I'll be there to talk about it, especially the mental health aspect. So that people can understand themselves. That's what you're here to do. So to wrap up the story, you know, 2014 was one hell of a year, and one heaven of a year, too. Having attended that seminar synchronicity um, brought so much stuff into clear focus and st continued me on the journey I had started January 11th of, of that year and which I'm on right now and won't be uh, ever stopping until I draw my last breath because it's um, fundamental to my being and I won't allow anything to change it because I understand what I am and how I understand how it could be changed from the outside in when I know this is not an outside in experience. It's an inside out experience. And navigating the outside world is part of the gig, but it's fairly easy to deal with when you realize who you are and that you can deal with all of this. So I'll leave you with that. There's much more to come. If you have any specific questions, please uh, get in touch with me. Steve at IlluminatingTheDisconnect.com I like specific questions because I often have a very specific answer that's uh, applicable. Sometimes when I speak and tell all these stories, I ramble a bit, go off on tangents. I hope you can find the nuggets within that of universal truth because they are very few, honestly. Um, and explaining the way there can't be put into words in regardless of how hard I try. And that's part of the human condition, once again, is transcending that so that we can connect on that deeper level even when we are using words. So, so this is going to be put into a book, How to Kill Yourself Without Dying, the self being the identity in the head, the identities in the head. And yeah, they all have to be dealt with until they're gone. And then all that's left is you. And then afterwards, you can continue using these identities. Uh, I do. You know, I'm a landscaper. I'm a runner. I'm a gardener. I am a nice guy. I'm uh, 
a whole bunch of things that are words that humans use. And yet I am fundamentally aware that I am none of them. I'm not even Steve at the end of the day. So I'm a feeling. That's why I do this work, so you can know who you are as a feeling. So that year spawned many, many books. Illuminating the Disconnect is one. How to Kill Yourself Without Dying is another one. Practicing Presence will be another one. Egotistical Carnivores, talking about uh, how we are as a species biologically. And how we interact with our environment with regards to diet and uh, lifestyle will be another one. I've got titles for over 30 books and major portions of most of them written, and that's what I would like to spend the rest of my life doing. And so if you could support that, there'd be a little um, note at the end of this podcast instructing you as to how. And not that I don't love my day job, landscape designing and working, I will probably always do that to keep in shape, to um, engage my creative aspect, and um, yeah, to stay grounded, quite literally. But, you know, I could... um, do this more than anything because I get no better feeling than helping others help themselves. Helping others in the moment by giving them, by, you know, helping them in an actual physical, real way, fantastic. But when I see someone help themselves because they've empowered themselves, the light bulb's gone off, that they know they're worth it, they know they deserve it, they know that they don't have to do anything to prove who they are, they just know who they are, that is is the bomb. Uh, There's nothing, no better feeling than that connection for me in this lifetime, because that's the love of life just happening. And, you know, life is the love of my life. It just shows up in a lot of ways now. People, places, and even things. So I'll leave you with that and uh, catch you on the next one. Take care. Hello, fellow humans, and thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, ever since I got this thing started, which was years in the making, I've been excited about uh, doing this and only this. It's what gives me the most pleasure in life is helping others help themselves. And it's actually what I know the best, despite all the other things I've studied for and uh, have had as careers, as experiences, as hobbies, as connections with life. This is it. So to that end, if you'd like to experience If you'd like to support a very simple human doing this, it doesn't take much for me to survive, and anything over and above that that I ever make from this will always go back into helping others directly. And you can support me by finding me on Red Circle Podcasts, which may be where you're listening. Uh, There's a donating information there. I also have an account with something called LibraPay, where you can find me as Steve Alat. Or you can send uh, a donation through PayPal, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. If any of those aren't sufficient or fail, send me an email. Again, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. We can figure something out. And uh, thanks for listening. I really, really hope it helps. And if it does, do send me a message. Thanks for your support.